next guest is the former general manager of the Minnesota Vikings. I want to welcome on Rick Spielman. Rick, how's your offseason going? Good. Thanks for having me on. It's been uh, been interesting doing a lot of different things I have not been able to do in the past. So kind of very exciting, uh, you know, moved down here to Sanibel Island in Florida. Uh, so experiencing island life a little bit, but just staying busy with a lot of other different things. So it's been very well. It's been going very well. Where is that in Florida? It's right off of the uh, coast of Fort Myers. So on okay. the West Coast. So you guys didn't so. get affected by that tropical storm. Oh yeah, we got oh, about you did. Uh, yeah anywhere between seven to eleven inches of, of I should say snow because I'm from Minnesota, but rain uh, over Friday and Saturday. But when you're on an island, it drains pretty fast. Uh, so there was a lot of flooding, but the flooding uh, was pretty gone, much gone by the next day. No, because I was watching like the nightly news, and they were showing those people, I guess, coming back from like the bars and the clubs in Miami. And this woman was in this fancy dress, getting out of a Benz, and it was just like a foot and a half of water. I'm like, this looks horrible so I'm yeah glad, i'm glad yeah, it's that was better. the other coast yeah <laughs> yeah no it was incredible and then they had like the drone shot just going around the neighborhoods and i'm like all right everybody the whoever's fixing carpets around here is getting they're gonna have a lot of business yeah. in a couple weeks so oh that, yeah they'll, they'll make a pretty good living yeah that's unbelievable um and i want to kind of get your thoughts um just kind of on the, the off season as a whole kind of before we kind of get into it what have been your thoughts because obviously it's been kind of slow as of late but there's been a lot of major moves with a lot of kind of quarterbacks moving around a lot of big trades what's been your thoughts on kind of all the really off-season blockbusters yeah it was different than almost any other off-season that i've been involved with because of the blockbuster type trades and it's the first time that i believe that you've really actually seen blue chip type players, pro bowlers move from one team to another. So I think teams are more willing now uh, to trade those type of players for whatever reason. Sometimes it can be a financial situation. Other times it's just ready to, to move on. So, you know, to see, uh, I would never guess that a Russell Wilson would get traded, you know, to Denver or uh, Adams to the Las Vegas Raiders and Aaron Rodgers' number one target. So, there are a lot of, you know, Mac to the LA Chargers, you know, and then the monies and how aggressive people are, especially if they think they are close to going to the playoffs or close to getting to where the ultimate goal of winning the Super Bowl. And I think everybody's seen what the Bengals were able to do last year, uh, which was a great Cinderella story. Um, so I think a lot of teams just saying, hey, if we can do this or this, uh, it's going to help us potentially get to the Super Bowl. Do you think you set the the blueprint by when you sent Diggs to Buffalo and bringing in Justin Jefferson on a much lower contract and everybody saying, <laughs> oh, we can do that and that, that'll work? Yeah. I don't know if it's a blueprint or not. You always, every year, you just analyze what's best for your football team, uh, how you can move forward. And if you move forward and the biggest question in front offices are then what are you going to do to replace that player? So we were very fortunate that we were able to land Justin Jefferson and ended up being, and is, and is going to be a great player in this league, a great receiver uh, and replace the digs with him at a, at a much lower cost, but that's only going to last about another year or two before he's going to get uh, his financial security. Oh, yeah. Were you shocked he was there in the draft? No, I, I knew he was coming out. Interesting. <laughs> <laughs> no, no uh, you're talking yeah i mean you know, the, you, the, the, yeah. Philly, the philly passed on him yeah and i don't know you know because we liked rager too i mean you know the one thing when you looked at rager you knew he was an explosive athlete and we had this, a lot of the same discussions on 
you know, not only can he help you as a receiver, but he's going to be a return specialist as well. And that's just another opportunity to get that ball in that player's hands that has some explosive playmaking ability, what he showed coming out of TCU. And I don't think his story is, is totally on, you know, at the end yet. I think he still has a chance to mature and grow and be a very good football player in this league. Absolutely. I want to kind of ask you a few questions about your career. So you, you, um, you were a player and then you kind of pivoted to scout. Well, how did that, how did that transition work for you? Because I wasn't good enough as a player. <laughs> so that, that uh, kind of I went back and finished my master's degree up at Ohio state uh, and started out as a uh, basically almost an intramural director slash assistant uh, athletic director at a community college you got an opportunity to build a sports program from there but I didn't have probably the elite athletic skill set to play at this level uh, but they did see my work ethic and how hard I approached everything and uh, so Detroit had called me and, and offered me an opportunity to get in the uh, into the scouting world. What was that kind of this, this first few days, like a kind of first few years, just kind of getting into it and kind of just kind of, you know, you don't learn scouting overnight. No. It's a process. Yeah. And, um, you know, the more, and I've always told all the young scouts, the more players you see, the more your library will build up in your head, the more comparisons you can make. And my first probably big, I don't want to call it finding, but mistake was uh, when I had the Southeast as a Blesto, which is a combine scout. And I went into uh, South Carolina State University and I was looking at a defensive end. And it's my first time in a smaller school and not in a power five school. And the, the player I saw was Robert Porsche. And he didn't play that good his junior year. And all of a sudden his senior year, you know, he lit it up, but I didn't have that experience to know. So I kept him in the later rounds we ended up drafting him that spring in the first round. And I still believe he's a career sack leader in Detroit Lions history. So from that, you, I've, you learn. And then so next time you get that same situation and you can make that comparison, that helps you become a better evaluator. You can't go to school and learn it. The only way you learn it is experience, seeing players, seeing how they progress as pros, whether they make it or not and then evaluating how you assess them when they came out. Is it even more difficult now with, with the guys moving around with, with, since there's so much more flexibility with there's no kind of transfer restriction and guys like you might see something one year, they move to a different program, you see something completely different, you're just kind of thrown off? Yeah, that whole thing is changing along with the NIL deal that these guys are getting. So that's a whole thing that just started to come into effect last year. Yeah, I knew it came in, you know, everybody got the extra year because of the COVID uh rules and, and and a lot of players got a, a an extra year of eligibility some came out early some stayed so i think it'll start to level out again um but you're always going to have to be aware of that all these kids are even transferring a lot more than maybe you've seen in previous years uh, because they're able to enter the transfer portal do you think it kind of separates some of the kids that show the some of the kids that have the love of football rather than the love of kind of everything else? You think it's kind of separating that a little bit? I think it. I think as you sit there and analyze as this goes forward, you know, some players move because of a situation at a school yeah. that has nothing to do with their love of the game. Yeah. Uh, it could be a change in coaching staff. It could be, 
internal issues that we don't know about. So there's a lot of different reasons why guys may enter the transfer portal. We on the outside can make those type of assumptions, uh, but I don't believe that all those assumptions are true. And you, you know, unless you are that player experiencing the reason why you're entering the transfer portal, we honestly don't know. But yeah. those are things that if they become NFL prospects, I'm sure that that will be part of the interview process now as we go forward, where you really didn't have to worry about, you know, hey, why did you transfer in the transfer portal? Or, you know, some kids have transferred before, but not as many as there are uh, right now. What was it like making your way up the ranks going from scout to GM? A uh, lot of hard work, just a lot of, and I've told everybody that young guys that come in and work for me is that don't worry about when you're going to be a general manager. What you worry about what your role and responsibility is in the organization. And if you're the combine scout, if you're an area scout, if you're move up to a regional scout, then focus on being the best you can be at that. Be the best in the NFL at whatever role you're in. And usually people will get rewarded and get recognized when they're honed in and focused on that task. And if they're always worried about when's my next move, when's my next move, then they're probably not doing as good a job as they can in their current role, in their current role. And that usually shows up in their work product. So, you know, that's, I, I've learned that too, as I went through 30 some years uh, of the NFL is, is just be patient and do what you're asked to do, do it to the best of your ability. And then things you, you can control, you can control things you can't control. Don't worry about. Do you think when you started coming up and when, when you when you kind of uh, made it to general manager, you had a little bit more flexibility in guys now coming up because it feels like a lot more rushed? Like, are we, we need to be a contender tomorrow. Do you feel like you had more flexibility? I, I think the the way that I was brought up and a lot of the uh, general managers who I know very well in the era that we came up through, we came up through a process. So uh, from the scouting side where I came up, I knew what it was like to be a combine scout. I was one. I knew what it was like to be an area scout. I knew what it was like to be on the pro personnel side and a pro personnel director and then a vice president of player personnel. So I learned by going through all those processes. And I think the most valuable thing you can gain is from those experiences, what you did well, what you didn't do well, and, and reassess on if you didn't do something well. Make sure that you find out the reasons why you didn't do that, didn't do it well. And then how would you correct it if you got in a similar situation going forward? Yeah. When you first became GM, who, 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 was, the, um, who was the quarterback with Minnesota? Boy, that was two. Well, I started there in 2006. Um, so 2010. Uh, to be honest with you, I can't recall P back. Ponder? Is it Ponder? It would have been Ponder, maybe. Uh, I know we went through a Gus Farratt period for a little bit. Uh, you know, Brett Favre was, you know, when we went to the first time, we went to the NFC Championship game. So we went through a pretty good uh, stack of quarterbacks yeah. as we went through that. But I can't remember, recall, in 2010 who the exact quarterback was. Do you, th do you think back then the, the relationship between the GM, the coach, and the quarterback was different than it is now? Uh, I think it's always been important. I think more important, the, uh, the head coach and the quarterback, you know, the GM 
is going to work the business side with the agent and the quarterback. And, you know, it seems like nowadays when you're listening to Aaron Rodgers or you're listening to the Russell Wilson, they may want to have the ability to give some input on personnel and what they think, where in the past that was players just go play and we'll get the people in that you need to get in. So I think there's a little bit more communication going that way. Uh, but the coaching staff and the offensive coordinator, the quarterback coach, the head coach all have to have a significant relationship with the, with the quarterback. Do you think it works better when everyone has a design role rather than when the head coach is also in charge of personnel? I think it works differently in every situation. I mean, Bill Belichick has a pretty good Hall of Fame track. Well, now he's offensive and defensive good. coordinator, too. So he's yeah. doing everything. Yeah. <laughs> So I think it's it's the circumstance, but I do believe that the NFL has changed drastically, especially over the last five or six years where there's just so much you handle. And even as my role evolved as a general manager, maybe 20, 25% was personnel, 75% was all the other issues and all the other departments that you had to deal with. So it's almost impossible you know, to say that one person can do the head coach, the GM stuff, and all the other ancillary things that come along with those jobs. Interesting. And then with now with the kind of the new era of players, do you think is it do you think it's a kind of a different approach kind of with your star players than it used to be? Kind of be like, all right, I, I don't know how this is going to work out. I don't know if this is a short-term or a long-term thing. I think that, you know, our best, our philosophy that we really believed in was for the most part is draft as well as we can. And then those are the guys that we were going to reward with second contracts and hopefully third contracts. And so we had a pretty good track record and history of doing that, you know, from the Harrison Smiths of the world to Kendricks, to Barr, to Daniel Hunter, to Delvin Cook, to Diggs, you know, even though we ended up trading him to last year, I think, uh, we did uh, Brian O'Neill, our right tackle. So we always anticipated on guys coming up when we did our cap planning uh, to make sure that if that was a player that was fit our culture that we had developed into our systems that we wanted to keep to make sure we had the flexibility from a financial and a cap planning standpoint to do that. So, um, but dealing with players, uh, may be a little different as you go forward because I think the NIL is going to change some of these guys because it seems like, and I don't know enough about it yet or people know enough about it that, Hey, I'm going to go from school A to school B because they're going to give me $200,000 more in an NIL deal. And I'm going to enter the transfer portal. So I think those are the things that eventually will shake out in the long run. Um, but I think you're going to have to have a little bit of a wait and see approach, but it almost is like, if it evolves into that players may feel more entitled. I don't know that yet, but that could be an issue that you're going to have to deal with going forward as well. Yeah. I want to ask you when, when you had Adam Thielen just kind of just playing around on practice squad, what, what, what made you think oh, we got to keep this guy around? All right. We knew we were going to keep him around the minute that he came in as a uh, tryout free agent guy. Uh, because of his work ethic, um, because he had enough physical ability. I mean, he's not the most gifted athlete, but when he came in, he just has that it factor to his game. He knows how to play the game. He's extremely intelligent, great leader in a locker room, great leader in a community. And 
he had to develop on practice squad, but someone got hurt. He got his opportunity. We brought him off practice squad. Uh, he started showing up on special teams. And to me, any of the backups, whether it was a receiver or a linebacker or any of the what we call big skills or skill type guys that played well on special teams, usually was a pretty good indication that they were going to be pretty good players at their position because special teams, you're just out there playing football. I mean, you're blocking in space, you're running down, tackling in space. So you are uh, evaluating those guys as football players. But what separates Adam is not only everything that we just talked about, but how passionate he is for the game and how driven he is to be the best he can be. And that, that has shown year in and year out since he got his opportunity. Yeah. When, when you guys had Peterson before the injury, did his work ethic, did you see it reflect in the other players? Like these guys just want to work harder because they see what he's doing. Yeah. And I think that is, that's just the culture and the type of players you're bringing in the building. So as you're building your culture and you have all these type of players that are elite athletes um, that are going to pro bowls, but are setting an example as the young guys come in or as the new rookies come in to see that, Hey, this guy's been to three or four pro bowls and look how hard he's working because there are a lot of guys in this league that have the physical attributes and the physical ability to play in this level. Um, but what separates good from great to me is that, that passion and that work ethic that a lot of the guys that end up being the hall of famers have. Yeah. What was your first draft like as GM? Oh, boy. I know my first draft in Minnesota uh, that I was in charge with was the Adrian Peterson draft uh, in 2007. And I remember how intense that could be because you're sitting there. We did not trade up to go get him. We kind of held our patience and waited till he fell to us. And I remember he went by Arizona. Uh, who we thought was a threat at the time. And then uh, right after Washington uh, took the safety from LSU, uh, we ended up, we ended up taking Peterson. So uh, those are the things that you really probably remember the most when you're running in the drafts on just the moves you made on potentially moving up or trading back. And if you made those type of decisions, were you still able to get the player that you coveted? So that's what was the most exciting part of the, of the draft. What's your best like war room story from your, your time with the Vikings? Anything like just kind of, any, is, is, is draft day? Is, is, it, is anything, is there any truth to that movie? Is anything like that at all? Or not really? There's a little bit of Hollywood added okay. to it, to be honest with you. But the premise, the idea is technically a little bit there, you know, but the draft day drama, at least in all the draft rooms that I have been in pretty much uh, there's, nothing being totally or really rediscussed because that's why we spent the month of February, the month of April, the coaches and everybody trying to go through every possible scenario and then trying to understand not only your team's needs and who potentially can be where you're going to pick, but also understanding other teams' needs. What do they do in free agency? What would they, how they fill their needs? How much cap space do they have? Uh, could they potentially be looking at the same position you're looking at and they're two slots ahead. So you do all this pre-work and you do hours and hours of preparation, just like I equate it to like the coaches when they're game planning, getting ready for the game on, on Sunday. Um, and then it's like, once it starts, then you just kind of react 
because no one's saying, well, you know, I thought we should take this guy. That's done. Everybody's discussed. We've all decided on who is going to be the players that we would select, who we would not select. And then you just go uh, once it gets started. During the draft, do you think teams are more likely to trade within the division than they are outside of it? And if so, why? I don't know. Usually in the past, it hasn't, especially in the early rounds. I know in the later rounds, fifth, sixth, seventh round, I don't, you know, those guys are, you know, uh, less than 50% chance of probably sticking unless they make it on special teams. But it seemed a little bit more like the thing that stuck out to me the most in this year's draft were, you know, the trades within the division, especially in the first round and second round. Uh, And then the trades of veteran players on draft night. And that usually does not happen. And the reason why that does not happen is most of the time when you make a trade with another team, that player, if he's going from team A to team B, he has to pass team B's physical. And more likely he's going to want a new contract. So what I've learned since then, why AJ Brown and Philly was able to pull that off and then get a deal done, with his contract and why Hollywood Brown went to the Arizona uh, Cardinals was that it was kept very well <clears throat> below the radar yeah. where no one knew what was going on. So I'm sure there were a lot of talks between those general managers and permission given to do X, Y, and Z. And a lot of times when you're in those type of situations and you, the agent probably is involved in it as well, that, you know, you put the, I don't want to say the threat on them that if anything leaks out yeah. and we're going through this, then the deal's off for both teams. Yeah. So um, those are things that I think happened behind the scenes. That a lot of people, and I know a lot of people really didn't know about until yeah. it actually happened on draft night. Did you ever have any trades that you were very small circle of people knew about? And you said if any, if any of this leaks, it's not going to happen and something happened and it leaked and it never materialized. Yeah, we've been involved, but for the most part, no. Uh, you know, we never made like a significant player for draft pick trade on on draft day. Uh, most of the trades that we were involved on, that if I did trade for a player, um, it was usually during the free agency period uh, or, you know, right before the, 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 the season starts, you know, we went through a significant trade when, Teddy Bridgewater blew out his knee eight days before we opened up the uh, regular season and had to scramble to get a quarterback because we had a very good football team then and made the trade with Philly to get uh, Sam Bradford. But a lot of that was under the radar until it actually happened. But that was probably a maybe a, a three or four day process that never surfaced in the media. It's interesting. Um, what, what, do you, what do you think of what Les Snead is doing with the Rams? Do you think that's a sustainable model, or do you think more teams are going to start copying that, or what, what are your thoughts? I, I think it's a little bit of a copycat league, but I give a lot of credit to Les, but I also give a lot of credit to Sean McVay because it is hard to bring in those type of players, uh, you know, the, the Von Millers and the, uh, uh, Odell Beckham Juniors of the world. And what they did, and I thought Raheem Morris did a great job of doing, is adjusting some of their scheme to what the skill set of those players coming in were. And it wasn't, hey, uh, we're bringing this player in, you know, we're going to trade for him, and a coach saying, well, we're, I'm not going to change my scheme because if that doesn't marry up with what the coach is going to do with that player, usually the trades aren't going to be successful. 
So, but I thought they did as an entire organization from the coaching side, the personnel side, did a phenomenal job putting those guys in the best chance to have success by how they utilize their strengths as a players. Interesting. How long were you guys paying attention to the situation with cousins in Washington before you guys kind of swooped in? Were you guys kind of monitoring that or was it kind of materialize quickly? No, we, that was the year that case Keenum took us to the yeah. NFC championship game. We got beaten Philly pretty bad that night. Um, but then new coming up that Kirk cousins potentially was going to be a uh, unrestricted free agent. And it's usually a rarity of a quarterback uh, with that talent level and that experience get out in the open market and we knew it was going to be a very competitive open market but we we felt very strongly that if we can get because our defense was probably one or two in the league that year that if you can replace a case keenum with a kirk cousins and the production that he has shown and still continue to play with a type of defense that we had that gave us the best chance to to have success was there anybody's uh, kind of pulling for Keenum saying, hey, look what he just did. Maybe we give him another shot. Maybe no, we, no we, we talked through that. And you know that you have the internal discussions with your coaches. You have it with your personnel department, uh, your coordinators, your head coach, your ownership, you know. And, you know, as an organization, we've all, you know, because it's never, although the GMs technically may be responsible for the final decision, but I've never made the decision unless the whole organization was backed up yeah. uh, and for that decision as well. Yeah. And I want to get your thoughts on some of these draft classes from, it was about two months ago. Which, which team do you think killed the draft? <laughs> who, who do you think did the best? Yeah. Yeah. I had to go back and refresh my memory. I know it feels like six this. years ago. Cause there's been nothing yeah. going on for weeks, but yeah. You know, you know, the team that, probably stuck out to me the most was the Baltimore Ravens because I thought they really stayed true to their board. They stayed very patient. And to me to get a Kyle Hamilton to fall where he fell to them. And that was a huge need for them to fill in the draft and to get probably the best safety in the draft at the value they got in that. And then they, they waited and they needed a, definitely they needed a center and Linderbaum, they got the best center in the draft. You know, then they were patient uh, through the whole draft and everybody they seemed to pick, even uh, Ajabu, the uh, linebacker pass rusher who uh, tore his Achilles during a pro day at Michigan. When that kid's healthy, he has a chance to be one of the top premier pass rushers, I believe, in this league for what he has shown. And I thought he was more polished and farther along than um, Petty was last year, who came quite uh, that came out of Michigan last year that Indy took, and he's a good player. So, but, and then they just, you know, they went to Travis Jones right after that, which was another very, very solid pick and great value, you know, and the other team that stuck out to me the most was probably what Howie Roseman did in Philadelphia, you know, pulling off an AJ Brown trade, um, to, which they desperately needed the number one receiver to go along with Smith, who's a, had a very good rookie year last year. And, you know, then to get uh, Davis, the guy who was almost non-human, if that makes sense, at the uh, combine for all the test numbers he's put out. And then finally, I thought they got great value in N'Kobe Dean, the linebacker that they got in the third round. And he probably fell some because of his size and a little bit of the injury history uh, through the pre-draft process but when you watch his tape he's 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 a 
very good football player. And uh, if he's healthy and ready to go by the season, he should make an immediate impact for them. But those two teams really kind of how he was different because he was a little bit more aggressive with the trade uh, and, and still getting value, but it was fun to watch Baltimore because you just see him just have these players fall right into their lap and stay impatient, not trading up and, uh, and to, to get some of the best players in the draft at the value they got them in. Have you started to take a look at next year's class with Stroud and Young and uh, was Will, An- Will yeah, Anderson? Yeah, uh, that's that's a su- summer project so that I, I've just started on. But, you know, it'll be interesting. They say that it's going to be – I saw some TV, just like everybody, some TV scouting. Uh, I saw – I didn't see Young play live last year. I saw the Ohio State quarterback play live. You know, and he struggled the first game I saw, yeah. but that was the opener against Minnesota. But he got better as the year so. It'll be interesting to see how this quarterback class evolves, but it has potential to be uh, one of the better quarterback classes in a while if all of these kids can and all these quarterbacks uh, continue to evolve the way they, their, their, their trajectory is going. Are there, are there any teams that you think we're undervaluing right now that might shock everybody during the season? You know, I, I looked at that. Um, you know, my dark horse, and it's, I don't know if it's undervalued. I don't think any last place team will go to first like the Cincinnati Bengals did last year. Uh, you know, I looked at all, maybe Baltimore, but, you know, they still got to work out that contract and they got a very good football team. You know, my biggest question with them was, you know, does Bateman step up as the number one receiver or do they have enough weapons at the receiver position? Uh, to take them where they need to go because they're going to be a very good defense. And, you know, Harbaugh is one of the best coaches in the NFL and has been for a while. Um, but, you know, the Giants are, 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 are in a rebuild. Seattle's in a rebuild, you know, especially since they traded away their Hall of Fame quarterback. I think Detroit's going to be a lot better this year. They were in a lot of close games last year, and I think they had another very solid draft. Um, you know, Jacksonville did a lot of good things, spent a lot of money, yeah. uh, but they got they hired a, a head coach that won a Super Bowl. Uh, but he, uh, I think they're still, and Lawrence should be w- way better, especially with Doug Peterson, you know, as his coach and how he evolves. But I don't think they're ready yet. But, you know, like I said, the two teams that stuck out to me the most is potential surprises. And I don't know. I mean, the chargers to me was my dark horse yeah. uh, win the Super Bowl this year um, with everything they have in place and what Tom Telesco was able to do getting Khalil Mack and JC Jackson and the additions they made. And, uh, you know, I thought, you know, he continued to build that offensive line, you know, and getting Johnson from Boston college will be as big an impact at guard yeah. as I think Slater was last year for him. Um, but the team that I think will surprise a lot of people as the Miami Dolphins and, you know, Mike McDaniels was a little bit of an out of the box hire, oh, yeah. uh, but very intelligent, uh, young, very energetic coach seems to relate to the players. And one thing you notice about the 49ers offense was he really understood how to utilize player strengths. I mean, he took Jimmy Garoppolo and, got him to a level where it took him all the way to the NFC championship game and what he did with uh, Debo Samuel and what they did in the run game. You know, now you look at him down there and I understand he may have some growing pains. It's the first time being a NFL head coach and he's got a coach against Belichick twice and Sean McDermott twice. 
but to make that trade for uh, Hill, you know, to add Cedric Wilson. Yeah. Uh, they, they have a stable of running backs with a lot of different skill sets that, you know, McDaniel, his maybe his greatest strength is the run game and how they're going to be able to utilize all these running backs and, and, and to their strengths. And they have a really good defense. They got yeah. two good edge pass rushers. Um, you know, they got Howard under contract, who that was a little bit of a distraction last yeah. year, who was a, one of the top flight corners in the league. And I think Holland, after that, uh, Oregon is going to be a, a future pro bowler as well. So my, I think Miami's going to really surprise a lot of people. And they brought uh, Mostert over from San Fran. Mm-hmm. So. That could be that could be interesting. And I just got one last question for you. I saw you you're getting into TikTok, mostly kind of uh, kind of talking football. You had one dancing video. Are those going to continue, or is that a one-time thing? No, no, that was a one-time thing that I was challenged to do. And uh, as uh, I don't think I'll be on Dancing with the Stars anytime soon. So, uh, but I am joining TikTok. Had uh, called, wanted to get some presence on and on the nfl so i've been doing little short stints on all these teams and before the draft i talked a lot about the players and what i've seen on the on the tape and how i evaluate them and now trying to break down a lot of the uh teams and what to look forward to for their fans going into the 2022 season do you even pay attention to the otas at all or are you just kind of waiting for the kind of training game to ramp up I think I think you gotta wait till training camp comes around. I think teams will assess where they're at. I do believe you'll see some more roster moves uh, coming uh, at training camp or near training camp with some of the veterans still out there. But most of the teams, in my experiences, when they're going through OTAs, I like to get all their young guys in. I like to see what they have, and then at the end of OTAs and the mandatory mini camp, they'll kind of reassess where their roster is and identify some areas that they may want to improve on, whether it be from a depth standpoint, special team standpoint. Yeah. Uh, and then that's what they will focus on going into training camp. And that's where you start building your plan of action uh, for when the cuts come down or any potential trades. Did you, was it easier when they did, when it was more of a gradual with the, with the, with getting down to 53, when it was more gradual rather than, then it's, all right, now we got to be 53 by hand and then it's uh, making a lot more decisions in a shorter period of time. I think it's, uh, I liked it when it went from 90 to 53, one, because the teams that were the most organized and it did the most work through the preseason were the most prepared. To me, the teams that were prepared had maybe a better competitive advantage on, uh, on, on maybe bringing in a guy or two that can help their roster. Uh, the also the other thing is when you're trying to move guys off your roster to practice squad, when they come in and there's that many names out there, I mean, we, we started usually at seven, seven thirty at night and didn't finish till four in the morning. So with that process and then guys that we deemed that we would potentially claim when the coaches came back in the morning, we had uh, big uh, film sessions and group studies on them to see if, uh, okay, let's claim this guy, but we'll have to move this guy off the roster. So yeah. it's a little bit of cat and mouse game, but I always, I kind of really enjoyed it when it went from 90 straight down to the 53. Yeah, that's just one last quick one for you. Is there anybody on the Vikings that maybe we aren't talking about a lot, but you're expecting a big season from? Oh, I think, you know, last year, KJ Osborne really kind of s- stepped up in some big situations for us. So I'm anxious to see some of the guys that we drafted last year. We had a very 
front-loaded veteran-type roster. You know, uh, Bynum, the the corner from Cal that we moved to safety when he got his opportunity to play, he uh, he made some some plays for us in the secondary as he transitioned from safety or from corner to safety. So there will be a lot of guys there that I'm kind of curious to see how they continue to evolve uh, and, and what type of contribution they make for the Vikings this year. Awesome. Awesome. Well, that's really the questions really have for you. Really, really appreciate you taking the time. Um, how can people follow you on TikTok? Is it just at Rick Spielman? That's just Rick Spielman. I don't, yeah, I'm not a big media, social media guy. I was never on social media until this TikTok thing. So I'm learning as I go as well. Awesome. Awesome. I'm, I'm, I'm hoping we see more dances because that was probably, that's the first time. That was the best thing I've seen today. And it was, it was, it was incredible. But, but I do really do appreciate the time. Can't wait for the season to kind of get ramped up, getting rolling. There's really nothing going on. I've right got basketball, four more games. Hopefully the Celtics can get it together, but it's really nothing going on. But I do, do appreciate the time. Okay. Thanks for having me on.